listen, you guys, please, as little moving around as possible, give me your best ear. And I'm going to pray. And if we could, just shut that door back there, please, and let me pray. And y'all agree with me and help me preach this, because these type of sermons, the devil don't like them, okay? But Lord, I ask you to bless this time as we get into the Word. I ask you to anoint me and speak through me your words of life. And we remember the parable of the seed and the sower. Lord, let everything be said that needs to be said tonight, but it will go out as living seeds of truth that are sown into good soil. That even now, the Holy Spirit, we ask, Father, that you release your Holy Spirit, that everyone hearing this, that the Holy Spirit will move upon us and fill us and just give us good soil of hearts and minds to be able to get locked in and focused and be able to really receive, not being distracted by other things, but the Holy Spirit help us to get our minds locked in and to be able to really concentrate, anointed eyes and ears, have eyes and ears of the Spirit and have good fertile soil of our hearts to not have hard hearts, but good soil. And this will go out into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit and take root, grow and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, I ask you that the winds of your Holy Spirit will carry this everywhere it's supposed to go out among the nations through the internet, that your mighty angels will watch over your word. And Lord, it will be powerful. It will be effective. Lord, we pray tonight that anything that would try to hinder this word in any way, we take authority. The Bible says that the birds of the air try to steal the seed. That's the demonic realm. So Lord, we take authority and we bind up everything of the devil right now that in any way would try to hinder this word. We bind it in the name of Jesus. Command you to back off. And Lord, let your angels get, just clear that out. But let this be watched over. And as I preach this tonight, let there be a washing of the water of the Word of God. Lord, that you'll purify us as your bride. Lord, let this be like a light shining that will dispel all the darkness, lies, deception of the enemy, bring truth and revelation. Let your Word be a mighty hammer that's going to break through strongholds and a sword that's going to penetrate. And Lord, that, let this get where it needs to go and accomplish what it needs to do. We stand on the promise, Father, that your word will not return void, but it will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. So all of us, we're in agreement. If two agree on earth is touching anything, we believe it to be done. So we thank you for hearing and answering this prayer right now, and we expect it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm closing this out. This is part 15. And... Um, I'm going to be talking about the devil tonight and exposing him real good, okay? But this is the last of the Doctrines of Demons series, and in this series we, we covered a lot of ground. And um, I'll close this out, and here, when I get to the end, I'll say some things, but I want you all please give me your best ear. But throughout this whole series, let me just reiterate this. Don't ever just blindly accept something. Don't ever just simply blindly follow things. But test things in a, in a loving, Christ-like way. But test everything. Make sure that it's of God. Don't just blindly um, just swallow everything that's taught. You know, go into the Word of God for yourself. Just make sure it's the Word. Not in a not in a right like a self righteous, arrogant, critical thing. Not like that. That's that's not right. But just being humble and saying, Lord, I just want to make sure that what I'm listening to is right. So anyway, test all things. Hold on to what's good. And so tonight we're going to deal with the devil, and I named this Lucifer because I'm dealing you know, specifically with him. 
But let me give you this at the beginning. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.11, Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. So let me read that again. Here's the negative and then the positive. The negative, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness. So I have nothing to do with them. But here's the positive, expose it. Okay? And so the Bible talks about it is our calling to expose the devil. Okay? And the devil hates that. Now I'm going to tell you something up front. One of the main ways to defeat the devil's kingdom is by exposing him. As soon as you start exposing him for who he is and what he's doing, he immediately begins to lose power because he's being exposed. And once God's people see what's going on, they can begin to take authority and they begin to pray. And it will break the power of the enemy. But he needs to be exposed. So there's a few things that people tend to have some very unbiblical views, and I'm going to deal with that up front. But we need to know our enemy, and we don't need to underestimate our enemy. So here's some very unbiblical views. Number one is people that have the attitude, if you just ignore the devil, he'll ignore you. Wrong. You can try it. <laughs> But that's not true. Um, he goes around like a roaring lion seeking. I mean, he's, he's going to go after people. Okay? If you're going to be used of God, you're going to have to face the enemy. Now, if you're going to be somebody that never does anything for Christ's kingdom at all, then you're no threat. You may never go through any warfare. But if you're going to be somebody that's a threat, you're going to have to confront the enemy. Number two unbiblical view is this, to underestimate the enemy. There's people, I usually start tuning them out when I hear them start talking like this because I automatically realize they don't have a clue what they're talking about. I love them. But they underestimate him big time. They talk about him like he's stupid or like he's completely powerless. No, the enemy's not stupid. He's smarter than we are. And he's not completely powerless. He still has some of Adam's authority and he has an evil power. But here's what the Bible promises. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we, even though he does have some intelligence and he does have some limited power, if we will operate in our God-given authority and power, we can overcome the devil. Okay? We can crush Satan under our feet. All right, number three is there's people that overestimate him. They totally focus on the enemy. They, they, it's almost like they view him as being way too powerful. And they even get to the point to where they'll make decisions in life based on what the devil's doing. That's unbiblical. My focus is on the Lord. I don't underestimate him, and I don't overestimate him. I, I do my best to know what the devil's up to so that I can pray accordingly. I don't ignore it. I know what's going on. But my focus is on Jesus and living for him. I, I look at it like this. Jesus lived his life. He said, what I see my father doing, I do. And what I hear him speaking, I speak. That's the way I want to live. Not based on what the devil's doing, but I'm not ignorant of his devices either. And then the fourth one that's very unbiblical is don't ever talk about the enemy. They think that if you just simply preach along these lines or talk about the enemy that somehow you're glorifying him wrong. 
That's exactly what the devil wants people to do, is to be ignorant of him and his devices. So these type of sermons tonight will expose the enemy. And I learned that a long time ago, just to kind of say this point again. That once the enemy is exposed... There's many times that things will be going on behind the scenes, coming against you, coming against the church, or whatever. I mean, it's like people are wondering, why is this going on? And all of a sudden, they begin to pray, and God shows them what the devil's doing behind the scenes. Once that's exposed, then people can begin to pray that direction, and it'll break the power of the enemy. And so it's important, it's vitally important, and that's how God many times will use prophetic people that, that have a prophetic gift and, and are very discerning. They'll use them to expose the strategies of the enemy and behind the scenes what he's trying to do. Alright, so let me just read a couple scriptures. I'm going to go through this tonight. Just follow me. I feel like that you'll learn a lot. There's probably quite a few things that you've never been taught. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times churches shy back from preaching like this. But we need to know. So Luke 10.19 Jesus said, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. We'll deal with that more as we go. But how many of you guys know that Jesus was the one that talked about, in his sermons, he talked about the devil. He talked about demons. He talked about spiritual warfare. He also talked about hell. Jesus was a faithful preacher that he preached the whole counsel of God. He never shied back from anything. Just because somebody didn't like it, he still preached the whole counsel of God. He was faithful. Alright, Ezekiel 28.11. This is a reference to the enemy. And it says this again, The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him. Now, Ezekiel is transitioning to where he's referring to Satan. It's a natural king but really, it's an allegory. It's referring to the devil. Okay? Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, etc. In the day that you were created, oh, sorry, it says right here, I skipped a line, turquoise, emerald, and all that, and it says, the workmanship of your settings and sockets was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. And that right there in the Hebrew deals with tablets and pipes, which I'll talk about later. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. It's a reference to pride. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of splendor. I cast you to the ground. What did Jesus say? From heaven down like lightning. He was cast down to the earth. I put you before kings that they may see you. What kings? By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, 
You profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of those who see you. And all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you cease to be forever. Now, let's go through some of this. Obviously, this is a reference of the devil, because the natural king of Tyre was not in Eden. All right. But it says, every precious stone was your covering. Now tonight I'm just going to kind of share from my heart some things. It appears from this scripture and others if you study all this out. That in heaven there is some kind of a mountain of God. There is some kind of, just like when God came down on Sinai, there is some kind of a, a structure where people have to ascend and go up to where God is. And his throne is going to be at the pinnacle of that mountain of God in heaven. And the Bible says about Satan that he was there. Also, every stone was your covering and it lists nine. Now really studying this out, I'm hoping to do a good job explaining all this, but anyway, it appears to me, studying this out, Number one, that the devil was an anointed cherub. In Hebrew, it's cherub. And he was not just any specific class of angel. He was the class of cherubim. And those that have read about the cherubim in the Bible, uh, you know that they have four, you know, like the, the head of a bull and then a man and etc., a bird. And it's a different class of angel than other angels. And the Bible also calls them the four living creatures, which some people say they're two different things, but their description's the same. They're probably the same. But in the Bible, the cherubim are those that are around God's throne. And they're guardians of the glory. They're guardians of God's presence. As a matter of fact, whenever Adam sinned, and he was kicked out of the garden, God said about Adam that basically in your fallen condition, you cannot continue to come in here and eat the tree of life because you'll live forever in your fallen condition. And so God had to, what did he do? He put a cherub as a guardian with a flaming sword to guard the way of the tree of life, where Adam could no longer go there and eat that tree, of that tree. And we know in the tabernacle, that the veil, called the parachet in Hebrew, it was the veil that separated the Holy of Holies. It had interwoven into it cherubim. And it was like they were guardians to be able to come into God's presence. And even the ark itself was made, the mercy seat, the lid of the ark was made with cherubim on each side in it. And so... Whenever you read Ezekiel, it's interesting. Is it okay that I just talk like this tonight? Just kind of get off my notes? Okay. It's interesting because Ezekiel saw like a floating throne of God, if you will. And he described it like a wheel within a wheel. And people that have studied this out, scholars have speculated that maybe the cherubim, like for example, when God came down on the Mount Sinai or whatever, maybe the cherubim around the throne of God, perhaps they interlock their arms or something. They interlock in such a way that they themselves make up a portable throne. And about the devil, he was one of these. 
he was a cherub. And the Bible says that he was the anointed cherub that covered. And so as I've studied this, and other scholars have studied this out, it appears that maybe Satan was actually like the throne of God. There were four now, four living creatures, that maybe he was the fifth. And possibly, just like a chair, the, the cherubim on each side, he made up like the back and was up. He was the anointed cherub. Possibly that was like the back of that throne above it and he would lead worship to God. But he was on the mountain of God and he walked among the fiery stones of God's presence. And so if the cherubim kind of helped make up God's throne, that's how close at one time Lucifer was. He was like the back of the chair of the throne, so to speak. And as you read this, it's interesting because it says that Lucifer had nine stones. And it appears that, as I've studied this, that there is a tabernacle at the top of that mount of God in heaven. Because God made it very clear in scripture that Moses' tabernacle was a replica of heaven. So it was not something altogether new. It was a replica of something that was revealed to Moses that's heavenly. So in other words, at the top of this mountain where God's throne is, there is some kind of a tabernacle or temple at the top. And God's throne is in the Holy of Holies of that tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, there is some kind of a menorah. There is some kind of a table of showbread. There is some kind of an altar of incense. Because even in the book of Revelation, you read how the incense was brought before God and it was the prayers of the saints. So there is something there. I said all that to make this point. That at one time... It appears to me that possibly the devil was a part of some kind of a heavenly priesthood. And in the Hebrew, even though here it says, you know, sockets and settings, but in the Hebrew it says that the devil was created with tabrets and pipes within him. And the tabrets have to do with rhythms. Like drum beats, tambourines, it's rhythmic. The pipes have to do with chords. So within him, created within him, somehow was the ability to worship and to maybe lead others in worship. But it seems like he was maybe of some kind of a priesthood in heaven. And that he had nine stones. Now we see, I always have a picture up there so people can see Aaron's priestly garments. But Aaron's priestly garments had 12 stones of the 12 tribes of Israel. But Lucifer only had nine. But it seemed like when God created him perfect in beauty, that there were some kind of stones that were priestly within him. Or upon him. And I can just see... From studying this out in heaven that there's some kind of a mount and at the top there's some kind of a tabernacle and God's throne is there in heaven would gather to worship 
And Lucifer was a part at one time, maybe kind of like the high priest, if you will, that would stand behind. He was the anointed cherub that covered. He would be up above God a little bit and would lead the worship to God. But maybe in that priesthood, he also had something to do, just like Aaron's priesthood, with the incense that was burned and the menorah, etc. But as Lucifer was a part of this cherubim class that helped to make up or guard the throne and he led worship and he was maybe like a high priest of some kind at some point in time he began to get lifted up with pride because he began to focus on how beautiful he was it was interesting because when Jesus raised from the dead and he appeared to Mary Magdalene on an early Sunday morning. He told her, he said, don't touch me because I haven't ascended. Now that's an interesting statement because you see him appearing later and telling Thomas and others, touch me. So people that have studied this out have concluded that probably what happened was, see when Jesus died and rose, you have to understand, he is now our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So there was some kind of a heavenly priesthood that Lucifer was a part of that he fell and he defiled, if you will. He defiled himself and defiled that priesthood. And then we have what God gave through Moses here. But when Jesus died on the cross, he was the priest, but he was also the lamb. And when he raised from the dead, you have to understand, he raised from the dead our great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Christ's priesthood is not just earthly, but it's also heavenly. And people that have studied this out believe, and I believe this too, that Jesus ascended and he dealt with something. When he went into heaven, he dealt with the, what Satan had defiled in that heavenly priesthood that Jesus went there and somehow prayed about that or applied his blood or something was done to eradicate that. And then Jesus came back here and he appeared to all these people and he you know, was telling people to touch him and then we know he ascended again. But Jesus ever lives right now to make intercession before, for us at the right hand of the Father. And in heaven, Jesus has the office of our great high priest. And so now Jesus is the one that has taken over that position in heaven that Lucifer apparently, it seems that at one time he had that. Like a high priest office. And then Isaiah gives us a little bit more glimpse of what happened. Isaiah 14, 12-23 How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. So again, we see these references to him being cut down, thrown down, cast down. You who weaken the nations, what nations? We'll get to that in a moment. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. 
You know what the stars are? It's a reference to his peers, other angelic beings. Satan was saying, I'm, he was so full of pride, I'm going to set myself up above all my other peers. I'll raise my throne above the other stars. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the recesses of the north. So there was some kind of a mountain, some kind of a tabernacle where God's throne was. And now the devil's saying, I'm not going to just be leading worship unto God's throne. No, I am going to set my throne there. He said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. The clouds often speak of God's glory, like His manifest presence. This might be a reference to Him saying, I'll even be above God's clouds, His presence. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit, which is where Jesus is going to put Him for a thousand years. And then after that, he's going to be in the lake of fire. But he said about himself, I will ascend to the highest possible place. And God said, therefore, I'm going to throw you down to the lowest possible place. Those who see you will gaze at you and they will ponder over you saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home, and all the kings of the nations lie in glory each in his own tomb, but you've been cast out of your tomb like a rejected branch, clothed with a slain who, pierced with, who, who you are pierced with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like trampled corpses. You'll be, you will not be united in burial. And it goes on to just talk about his destruction. And then let me read one more scripture and then I'll, I'll talk a little bit more. Revelation 12, 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven and behold a great red dragon. Now really think about this for a moment because it's going to kind of open up some things to you. A great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. His tail swept away a third of the stars out of heaven. He threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so he could devour her child. I know what all this means prophetically, but I'm talking about the devil here. Now remember that Satan is that, that class, that order of the cherubim. And read their description. When you go home, look up some scriptures about them. The four living creatures, the cherubim, they have man-like and animal features. And some people, Satan is always described as this great red dragon, which a dragon is a reptile, obviously. And would be like, if you will, a giant huge lizard. Or some giant huge serpent with legs. And most people believe, and I also agree with this, that most likely in the Garden of Eden, the, the snake at one time had legs, but when it sinned and God said, you're on your belly you're going to crawl, its legs began to wither and it began to slither on the ground. And it's interesting because even to this day, the anaconda, which is, I believe, the largest snake, if I'm not mistaken, but they have little nubs where scientists have said, you know, they used to have legs.
But people that have really studied this have wondered if Satan, just like these cherubim, have man-like but also animal-like qualities, if there wasn't something about him that was reptilian. Which would be really interesting because when he appears in the Garden of Eden, he seemed to have an affinity toward the reptiles that he wanted to be in a snake to talk to Eve. And something else that's quite interesting is that Jesus taught us that he was cast to the earth. Let's go back to that for a moment. In Ezekiel 28, in verse 16, it says, By your, the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. If you do a Hebrew study by the abundance of your trade, the word trade in the Hebrew implies persistent plotting and tailbearing. As a matter of fact, it's the same word in Hebrew that's used for a tailbearer. And the Bible says to not go about among God's people as a talebearer, as a gossip. And so what Satan was actually doing by the abundance of your trade, what he was doing was he was going around to the other angels and he was gossiping, he was slandering God to them and he managed to turn a third of them against God. And he continues with that same tactic in the Garden of Eden. He sees Adam and Eve and he concludes that he'll be better off trying to deceive Eve than Adam so he targeted Eve but what did he do? He entered the serpent and he began to slander God to her. If I could paraphrase it let me say in essence what the devil was saying to Eve. All Eve ever knew was that God came down in the cool of the day which was either morning or evening or both and would spend time with her and Adam and she only knew him as this authority figure and only knew him as a loving, benevolent God. And everything was beautiful. So she had never been exposed to something like this. And now, this creature, Lucifer, through the serpent, is speaking to her. And he says this, and I'm paraphrasing. This God is not who you think he is. He's actually trying to withhold something good from you. You can actually be just like God yourself. He just doesn't want you to know that. And if you'll eat this fruit, you will be like him. And so she did and she fell. But that's been Satan's tactic all along, going way back to ancient times, is to slander God and to slander authority figures that operating God's authority on the earth. He's a slanderer. And he goes about and he uses people in God's kingdom. He goes about to slander and to gossip and through that to turn people against God, to turn people against God-ordained authority and to split churches, divide Christians. But this tactic has been there all along. But it started with pride. And that's the thing about being in the glory of God. Even though Lucifer, 
was in the very throne room of God, the Holy of Holies, if you will. He walked among the fiery stones. He was even somewhat maybe a part of, connected to, but he was somehow very closely associated with God's throne. Right there in the glory. Even in the glory of God, pride was able to manifest. And that's interesting because it seems to me to this day that Lucifer, whenever he's going to attack a place where the glory is, one of his tactics is to attack with Leviathan. And Leviathan is the spirit of pride. But Satan went around heaven as a, like a talebearer, and he got a third of the angels to follow him. And the Bible shows him like a great dragon whose tail grabbed a third of the angels and they were hurled to the earth. Now here's another interesting thing. I'm just going to give you food to think about tonight. But when we come on the scene in Genesis 1, let me say this up front. The Bible was not written for us let me say it this way. God did not write the Bible to try to prove his existence to some atheist. The Bible was not even written to try to give us in-depth detail about things that happened before Adam. We have glimpses. This is very important you understand this. The reason the Bible is written is one reason. It is God's redemptive story. Man fell, and God has been intervening, and he's going to finish it. It's a story of redemption. From the fall of man, all the way to God the Father one day on the earth. But it's a redemptive story. So we don't have a lot of information about the pre-Adamic world. Things that happened maybe millions and billions of years ago, we don't have a lot of information, but we have little glimpses here and there. When Genesis comes on the scene and, we're, and God begins to speak to us about what we need to know, the earth was formless and void. It was in a destroyed condition. God didn't say, let there be an earth. It was already there. But it was in a destroyed condition. And many people that have studied this believe that before Adam, the earth was populated and it had these reptilian type beings. We see them today. We dig them up. Dinosaurs. And that possibly Lucifer had some type of a reptilian quality as a cherubim. And as he fell, the earth was possibly his domain of rulership. And these created beings, he was over them. And when he fell and he took a third of the angels, it was, it was a major judgment, it was a wrath, that God stripped him of his heavenly authority, his priesthood. God just stripped him of it. He took him and a third of the angels and he hurled them to the earth. And this was possibly the domain Lucifer ruled over and all these created beings that were there and when Lucifer hit the earth with his third of the angels, it was like a meteor hitting the earth. And God judged that pre-Adamic earth, flooded it, 
shut off the sun, moon, and stars, destroyed it. And now we come upon it in Genesis and it's in a destroyed condition. Why in the world God chose to do this? Because He could have went to another planet. But God chose the earth. A place that possibly Lucifer at one time ruled over. And God comes down and he begins to look at the earth and he begins to separate the waters from the land. He begins to separate and create what we know now as the ozone, etc. And he turned on the sun, moon, and stars, created vegetation, the animals. And he creates this garden which was located somewhere around modern-day Iraq area. As a matter of fact, let me just give you a side note. Because of the Tigris and Euphrates, a lot of people believe that the Garden of Eden was right there at um, Babylon. Isn't it interesting? A place of great rebellion in the earth. Because that's where the Tower of Babel was built, etc. But anyway, he creates this garden and he puts Adam in there. And Adam was given rulership. If this is true, and I speculate it probably is, this is the earth where at one time Lucifer had some kind of dominion. But his authority was stripped and that earth was destroyed. And now God is creating this beautiful earth again and he's creating Adam and he puts Adam over the earth. You know that that ticked off the devil. And so the devil began to really covet Adam's authority. And it was, and Adam saw it was, well God saw that it was not good that man was alone because Adam was naming the animals and he realized, hey wait a second, there's a male deer, female deer, you know, there's a male elephant, female elephant. He's going through all these animals and he's naming them and he's realizing, how come I don't have, uh, you know, a male and then a female counterpart? Why am I the only one that's... <laughs> And so God saw that it's not good for man to be alone and he put him asleep and created Eve. But they had dominion. You understand that Adam was created brilliant. By revelation, by just simply God putting it in him, he understood zoology, biology, he understood everything. And Adam, when he walked the earth flat-footed like that, he was, um, he was clothed in the glory of God, but he had authority over the birds of the air the beasts of the field, and the depths of the sea. He had authority. He was kind of like a king that walked over the earth. And he had Eve with him as his bribe. And God would come down and walk with him in the cool of day. But Lucifer so coveted that. And so he began to strategize how he was going to steal that authority from Adam. And without getting too much into the details of this, he went through Eve, deceived her, but Adam was not deceived. Adam knew what he was doing. The Bible says that Adam transgressed, which means rebelled. And most likely what happened was Adam saw Eve fall like that, and he was trying to save her. He was going to eat the fruit like she did and become like her and try to save her that way. But that was the wrong choice. What he should have done was he should have went to God as a mediator and prayed for Eve and said God would have worked that out. But anyway, Adam transgressed. And when he did, the Bible says the person that you're obedient to, you become their slave. 
So Adam basically handed the devil his authority. And so now Adam and Eve are fallen creatures that now have a sinful nature. They ate that fruit with their physical bodies and it went into their physical bodies. Now their physical bodies were under a curse. And their physical bodies would begin to age and would eventually die and go back to the dust just like God said it would. But all of their offspring, all of us, have been born with a sinful nature. That goes back to Adam and Eve. But that goes back to Adam's rebellion. Adam knew better. But he gave his authority to the devil. And the devil, Jesus called him the prince of the powers of the air. And the Bible refers to him as the little g, God of this present earth. So he's operating in Adam's authority to oppress humanity. And this earth as we know it is under a curse because of what Adam did. But one of these days, Jesus is going to come back. And we know under the, the law of Moses, there was the redemption. You read about in the story of Ruth, a redemption of a bride, you know, a kinsman redeemer, but there's also redemption of a land. So you've got to understand the book of Revelation. When Jesus is popping those seals, uh, you know what that scroll is? It's the title deed of the earth. Follow me. Adam was the ruler of this present earth. He gives it to the devil. So the devil temporarily has that Adamic authority. But his lease is running out. And he knows his time is getting short. And God has given Jesus a scroll, the title deed of the earth. And Jesus is going to be popping those seals. And when Jesus comes, he's not only coming to redeem humanity in that respect, but he's also coming to redeem the earth. He's the last Adam. He's coming back to take over the earth and rule and reign again. And when he does, he's going to have the devil bound for a thousand years in the pit. And all of his fallen angels, etc. And here's just a couple things to talk about. Um, when Lucifer fell on the earth, it's interesting that ancient civilizations have always had some kind of an affinity to create either a pyramid, a ziggurat, or something like that. The Tower of Babel. See, what it is, is that Lucifer was in heaven and saw that mountain of God. And that temple or tabernacle on the top of it. Lucifer was in that thing. Walking around. He's very familiar with it. And when he's thrown down to the earth. What he's trying to do. He's trying to use sinful man to create something. That he once saw and was a part of. And to corrupt their worship unto him. So basically. That's what he wanted in heaven. I want to sit above God. I'm going to be like God. And I'm going to be getting the worship. So God throws him down to the earth with his angels like a meteor and destroys the earth of that time. And now Lucifer is trying to take fallen humanity and trying to pervert and corrupt their worship to him. Can you imagine how much Satan hates? Think about it for a moment. He finally got Adam's authority. 
He is, of course, abusing that authority and trying to destroy humanity. But now God picks a man named Abram, through him creates a nation, and then the devil keeps trying to destroy all this. Then it ends up Moses is making a tabernacle replicating what was in heaven. And the worship, this is the, the devil's thinking, the audacity. These people are creating something that I saw in heaven right here in my domain, in, in his mind, that Adam gave him. And they're worshiping the one true God. Can you imagine how much Satan hated that place? And that's a place where even the Ark of the Covenant is a replica of the throne of God with cherubim. And that Satan is one of those cherubim, but in a fallen state. And Satan hates that because the glory of God dwelled there. I talked about the widespread trade, the dragon. I talked about the angels that fell. There's different theories about the origin of demons and all that. Most of us that do minister deliverance and all that feel that there's probably something different between fallen angels and demons. There probably is. Angels have bodies. Demons are disembodied spirits. And that's just something that I believe and a lot of other people do too. But there's the question, where do these demons come from? I mean, we know that fallen angels make up a certain class. I believe fallen angels are very powerful, very dangerous, and very intelligent beings. And they make up the principalities and powers and wickedness in the heavenlies. But these little disembodied spirits that indwell people, in places, in objects... Where do they come from? And different, different people that have studied this out wonder, was there some kind of a pre-Adamic race that was destroyed with Satan's fall? Could that be where some of them have come from? Others have wondered about the Nephilim in Genesis 6 where fallen angels procreated with women. Some of them were giants. The earth was full of wickedness. And... Um, only Noah, it seemed to indicate Noah was blameless in his generations in that in the Hebrew it says his blood, his DNA was not tainted. So it seems to indicate most of the rest of humanity was. Could it be during the flood and people died that maybe their disembodied spirits became demons because they're, they're part fallen angel? I don't know. It's hard to say. The Bible was not written to give us all these answers. The Bible was written for a story of God's redemption of fallen humanity. We only have a glimpse of it. We have to speculate. You know, we, we you see people digging up dinosaurs that they claim are millions of years old. We know that the earth was, is old, older than Adam. There was something here before us, guys. Something destroyed before us. Satan fell before there was ever an Adam. But yet God did not tell us much about him. So let me start closing out here. Opposing the purposes of God. God's given us what we need to know. We know that Satan is a fallen cherub. We know that he has a third of the angels that fell with him. We know that there's demons. 
We know that there is some kind of a structure, a satanic kingdom that opposes the purposes of God in the earth. We know that. The name Lucifer is a Latin translation of the Hebrew word halal. This is in your notes. H-A-L-A-L. Halal. Remember, Lucifer was created with tablets and pipes within him. Did you know that the word for praise is halal? H-A-L-E-L. And there's no vowels in Hebrew. It would be an H-L-L in Hebrew. They're, the name of Lucifer and the name of praise are almost identical. Those that are familiar with Hebrew, the, the hay and the lamed and lamed. It's just three letters. So, also, I talked about in the garden. Let me just say a couple more quick things about this. Um, so, Lucifer, when he fell and he took the angels, he's always been opposing God's purposes. And so, in the Garden of Eden, when Adam fell, God prophesied to Eve and he said that through the woman... There will be a seed that will come. And he said that seed will, even though Satan the serpent, you're going to strike his heel, he's going to crush your head. And Satan knew what God was saying. He knew that through woman will come some kind of a Messiah who will defeat him. And so Satan began to study this out because he didn't know how long this was going to take. And he sees that Adam and Eve have Cain and they have Abel. And you see, Cain is not righteous in God's sight, but Abel was. And so Lucifer's thinking to himself, Abel might be the guy. And so he stirs up Cain to kill Abel. God's plan is still going forward, so the devil's trying to figure it out. The earth begins to fill up with humanity. And so we read the story in Genesis 6 that fallen angels begin to come down and begin to procreate with women. And it intermixed angel and human DNA. You know what Satan was trying to do? He was trying to pollute the human race with fallen angel DNA. Why? So that there could not be that man-child born of a woman that would be a Messiah. Once again, he's trying to stop the plans of God. So what does God do? He protects Noah and his family. Tells him, build an ark. God floods the earth and wipes out all the Nephilim and all the pollution. But we know it says in those days and also afterward, there were still Nephilim in the earth um, in the days of Moses we read about. They were in Canaan. That's another story. But anyway, Satan has always been trying to oppose. And so about the time that God was going to raise up a deliverer for Israel out of Egypt, Satan somehow discerned that. And what does he do? He stirs up Pharaoh to begin to throw all the male Jewish babies into the Nile to be eaten by crocodiles. What was he trying to do? He was trying to stop that coming Messiah. He thought to himself, what if that's the guy? But it wasn't. It was Moses. But Moses was a picture and type of the Messiah. We could go on and on down the line how Satan you know, wanted to destroy uh, David's lineage, etc. And but as we get to the days of Jesus, when Jesus was born, 
Satan once again is wondering, could this be the guy? And so he begins to stir up Herod to wipe out all the male babies that were there in that region. But Joseph had had a dream where the angel told him, gather up your family and go to Egypt. So Jesus didn't get killed in that. But Satan was trying to stop this coming Messiah. It didn't work. Everything the devil tried to do ended up playing into God's master plan. Then whenever Jesus is walking the earth, the devil now recognizes him. Here is the guy. He's here now. And so Satan tries to tempt him in the wilderness to get him to fall into sin. He tried to do the same thing with Jesus he did to Adam. If you'll bow down and worship me. If you'll give me your authority. But Jesus didn't do it. Satan and, I'm sorry, Adam and Eve were tempted with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Three temptations. And they fell. Eve saw the fruit. The lust of the flesh, she was hungry. The pride of life, I can be like God. Jesus passed all three of those tests. He was hungry, but he didn't eat. Remember that? Satan said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this, the lust of the eyes, all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus didn't fall for it. Jesus overcame all three of those temptations. Alright, let me close with these last couple thoughts. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, powers, wicked world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the evil day. Having done everything to stand firm, stand firm therefore having your, your loins girt about with truth. There's a belt of truth that you need to be putting on every day. A breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, these, these garments, let me just say, are literal. You don't see them with your natural eye. These garments are literal. There's a breastplate that goes over your heart, over your chest, that helps guard your heart. You have to know that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You have to realize that you're forgiven. Your heart has to be settled in that. But it's a breastplate over your heart. And he said, having shod your feet, putting on shoes that have to do with God's peace. To walk in peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith. This is a literal shield. That you block the enemy's attacks against you. He tries to shoot fiery darts against your mind and your emotions. Those are the main two areas. If he can get you to begin to think thoughts you're not supposed to be thinking. And feeling feelings you're not supposed to be having. It's like that arrow has gotten through the armor and it's stuck in you. And just like if you were to take a flaming arrow and you were to shoot it into the side of a wooden building, if you don't extinguish it, what? It's going to catch that thing on fire and it's going to keep growing, becoming worse. When people allow those things to get through their armor and they begin to meditate on thoughts they should not be thinking, the devil put those thoughts there. It's like a fiery dart. It begins to spread. And it can become a mental stronghold. Those 
feelings of bitterness or whatever it is, if he can get those arrows in people's hearts, it'll spread. The Bible says, take up that shield of faith and extinguish those flaming arrows. Put on the helmet of salvation. You've got to put on a helmet over your mind that your mind is renewed with the Word of God. That no matter what lie the devil tries... What, what did Satan do? He kept trying to tell Jesus, even misquoting Scripture out of context. He was trying to deceive his mind. But Jesus knew the Word. And Jesus said, no, it's written. And he would quote the scripture back at him. Jesus was established in the word. And that was the problem with Adam and Eve. Eve did not know. There was one scripture. Adam had one scripture. And it was, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of it, you will die. One scripture to memorize. He tells Eve that. And Eve quotes it back to the devil and misquotes it. She says, don't even touch it. Who told her that? Adam did. <laughs> and she, anyway, she, Adam told her, don't even touch the tree. And Satan was attacking the Word of God. Did God really say? Same thing with Jesus. He tries to quote and twist the Word to Jesus. You better know the Word. And when the devil starts throwing lies at you, what do you do? You begin to quote the Word of God. You say, I'll tell you what, this is actually what the Bible says. And you begin to quote the Scripture. And I'm telling you, it'll break the power of the devil. And it'll renew your mind. It'll calm your heart down, give you peace. It will establish you in your faith. But you have to know the Word. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that's what Jesus was doing. It is written, and it was the sword of the Lord against the enemy. The sword of the Spirit comes out of your mouth. The sword of the Spirit is not a closed book on a bookshelf. The sword of the Spirit is God's Word coming out of your mouth. Did y'all get that? You can't like get mad and take your Bible and fling it at the devil. <laughs> it's not a book on a shelf. You know, it is the Word of God coming out of your mouth against the enemy. And then it says, with all prayer and petition, praying at all times. So the Bible says to pray in the Spirit. A different translation says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. There is such power in praying in tongues. Pray in the Spirit. Paul said, I pray in the Spirit more than you all. And be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Alright, so here's a few things. Lucifer, the name Lucifer means light bearer. But he's no longer known by that name. God changed his name. His name is now Satan, which means adversary, and devil, which means accuser. His kingdom is made up of world-ruling spirits. These are spirits that are fallen angels that dwell in the second heaven. The third heaven is where God is. The second heaven is over the earth. These world-ruling spirits blanket the whole earth with their influence. Meaning, for example, the Antichrist spirit blankets the whole earth with its influence. So there are world-ruling spirits. Underneath their authority are principalities. Principalities come from the Greek word RK, where we get the word architect. They rule over regions, nations. Guess where they hang out in America? Washington. Where is the principality over Texas? Austin. They want to be where decisions are made, where legislation is passed, because they want to manipulate that. 
But there's principalities over regions. Over, there's a principality over Dallas. There's another one over East Texas. There's principalities that rule over regions. And then powers are under the authority of a principality, but powers, they will carry out the attacks of the principalities. So the principality rules like a throne over a region and he sends his powers to carry out attacks. A, a principality will study. The principality over Dallas has studied churches, studied preachers. It knows everything going on. It knows where Satan worshipers worship. It knows where Christians that are actually powerful. It knows where they are. It has studied the region and it strategizes how to keep this region in bondage. And you know as well as I do that the primary, primary tactic of the principality to keep this region defeated is against the church. That's the only threat. So anyway, he'll strategize how to attack churches and preachers and then at an opportune time, he will release his powers to go carry out those attacks. You better put on your armor and you better be ready if you're going to be a threat. Ignoring them does not mean they're going to ignore you. Tactics. Satan's tactics are to tempt people into sin, to deceive people, to accuse people, to steal, to murder, to destroy, and to divide. And I'll just give you from personal study a possible satanic armor, if you will. It could be that Satan's armor is a helmet of pride on people's minds, a breastplate of unrighteousness, a sword of criticism, a cloak of deception, boots of anger, that everywhere somebody goes they stir up strife, and a mouth speaking forth lies. This is like a satanic armor, if you will. What is Satan's future? We know that it's already written. There's going to be a rise of a false prophet. He'll be a master of the dark arts. He's going to be a powerful um, sorcerer, a black magician. He's going to be very powerful. And he's going to assist the rise of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will, though, be a political figure. And they will be used to help unite the world under like a one-world government a one-world military, and a one-world currency. That will lead into the tribulation time. But when Jesus comes, Satan will have stirred up the world to march against Israel and try to destroy Israel. But Jesus is going to come on a white horse. He's going to split the eastern sky. And the Bible says that he's going to take hold of that Antichrist and false prophet. And he's going to throw them alive straight into hell. He's going to, his feet are going to hit the Mount of Olives. It's going to split in two. He's going to have the devil bound and put in a pit for a thousand years. And that means all of his fallen angels too. And he's going to come to take over. At the end of the thousand years, the devil is going to be allowed to be loose for a short time. And he's going to go through the earth and he's going to stir up all these different people that are, you know, don't like Jesus, don't like the ways of God. He's going to deceive them and they're going to join with him and they're going to try to march against Jesus in Jerusalem. Big mistake. Fire comes down from heaven, fries every one of them. 
And then Satan is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. All of hell will become a lake of fire. That's all it's going to be. He's going to be thrown into the lake of fire where the false prophet and the antichrist are and all of humanity that has rebelled against God that refused to get things right with Jesus Christ are going to be brought up at the white throne judgment. They're going to be explained why they're going to be in the lake of fire with the devil for eternity. And every one of them are going to be thrown down in there. That is the devil's destiny. And he hates it when you bring it up. So if you're ever having to deal with demonic forces, you might just start talking out loud about how one day they're going to be bobbing around the lake of fire. But Christ is going to reign for a thousand years and there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth which is another sermon for another day. But as I close out this series, let me give you this final thought tonight. Ephesians 4.11 Y'all just look this way, I'll read it. He gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, pastors and teachers. The fivefold ministry. Jesus gave the fivefold ministry as gifts for the church for the equipping of the saints for the works of service to the building up of the body until what? We attain unity of the faith. My Lord. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man the measure, the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. But listen to this scripture. Ephesians 4.14 As a result, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by trickery of men or craftiness and deceitful scheming. And he goes on speaking the truth in love. We grow up into the head but not tossed to and fro. The fivefold ministry is in place to help the body of Christ be brought to maturity where you're not going to be swayed by every little teaching. You know, I've studied out what I believe. I've studied it for years. I've got roots. Just because I hear some sermon that goes against that, that has nothing to do with anything. I have roots in what I believe. Some people are so immature. They listen to too many voices. They don't know what they believe. And they're still children that are tossed to and fro. They'll hear one sermon, they believe this. They'll hear another sermon, they believe that. They're children tossed to and fro. But the fivefold ministry is in place to help people. And people need to be careful they're hearing too many voices sometimes. In the day that we live, way too many voices. But to get established, you know, Peter said what? Being established in present truth. Getting established. Getting your roots down in what you believe. People can argue with something or I've studied out what I believe so long and so thoroughly I'm established in it. So as I end Doctrines of Demons, like I began this sermon, test all things. And hold on to what's good. But have a right spirit about you. Don't be lifted up with pride. But test things. Sometimes there'll be good that's taught, but it'll be mixed with error. Be careful not to get sucked into the error. 
don't get prideful and judgmental and critical and, and, and look with judgment and criticism. Even if something is not where it needs to be, God would have us pray for them. And let me warn you, because I see some people doing this, do not be divisive. Just because you don't agree with something, don't go around gossiping about them and trying to destroy other people, other churches, other ministries just because you don't agree with something. Remember how the devil went around like a talebearer? And Satan loves how God's people are so divided and fighting with one another. There's some things out there that I do not agree with at all. But I'm not going to get on the internet and start blasting and calling names and trying to destroy people I don't agree with either. I'm not doing that. I pray for them. And let me say this. I think the reason why people do that is extreme pride. Extreme pride. How many knows that me, you know, when I was, for example, raising my daughter or whatever, I could manage my household. I think that we can all rest assured Jesus can manage his household. He doesn't need me or you being a little sheriff running around trying to destroy everything we disagree with. That is very arrogant. And there's people that even base their whole ministry on that. They sell a lot of books. They have a lot of sermons. They'll call out other ministers by name. Call out ministries by name. And there may be a place for that if there's some extreme um, you know, doctrine telling people to reject Jesus Christ or some crazy thing like that. But, but just because they disagree about something, they'll try to destroy them. That's demonic. So don't be judgmental, don't be critical, don't be prideful. Don't try to divide and destroy people you don't agree with. But just have a humble spirit. But as a pastor, my heart in this whole sermon series is just that you be protected. Not every person out there that's preaching is safe for you to sit under. Not every person that walks into a church is safe for you to have a relationship with. Not everybody that's walking through altars praying for people is somebody you need them praying over you. Not everybody that's in children's ministry needs to be watching your children. Not every church service is necessarily the Spirit of God at work. And not every time there's something supernatural going on is it God all the time either. God wants us to be wise and discerning that we know what's Him and what's not Him. Alright, so Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this series. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And I pray that you would help cause this series to get where it needs to go and accomplish what it needs to accomplish. Lord, we ask you to seal this time in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be discerning. Like the book of Hebrews says, our inner man, our inner senses are trained to discern good from evil. And Lord, that we will be brought to full maturity. In perfect unity of the faith, every joint supplying. We're going to not be tossed to and fro by every wind of teaching. But Lord, we're going to be mature and strong in the Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering these prayers over this series. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it. Amen.